Welcome back, everyone, to the Spoonful of Sugar podcast, which is brought to you in partnership with Pharmerica. Today, we're going to discuss ways to overcome staff vacancies by improving operational efficiency. I'm John O'Connor from McKnight's, and I'll be co-hosting with TJ Griffin, RPH, who is the Senior Vice President of Long-Term Care Operations and the Chief Pharmacy Officer for Pharmerica. Hi, TJ. Uh, did you enjoy the Super Bowl? John, so glad you asked. You know, all of us in Louisville, uh, we're glad to be back. You know, we're suffering the Bengals loss here in Bengals territory, but it was a great game, a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, we look forward to being back in it next year. Good, good luck. Hope, hope it comes out better. I think with that quarterback, you're going to have a, a lot of uh, playoff uh, games coming up in your future. Well, we got, we got to keep him upright, John. Got to get that <laughs> offensive line fixed. Yeah, he, he, took a, he took a beating, that's for sure. But uh, the, fu- the future looks bright. Well, it's no secret that uh, staff vacancies are a major challenge facing operators today. Regulations make it difficult for facilities to stay efficient without investing in resources to manage the overload of daily admin work. Long-term care staffing plans are certainly worth considering, but ultimately freeing up staff from the admin tasks and introducing operational efficiencies that allow them to spend more time with patients is in everyone's best interest. Joining us today are two guests who are going to show you actionable ways to make that happen. Robert Brandy is Vice President of Health Services for Eschaton, and Tyg Hammam is Vice President of Residential Services for the firm. Thank you guys for joining us today. Can you tell us a bit about yourselves and Eschaton? Thanks for that introduction, John. I'm Vice President of Residential Services, been with Eschaton for almost seven years now. You know, Eschaton has a wide variety of different offerings from, you know, home health and skilled nursing, assisted living. And I oversee nine of our assisted living and memory care communities and then support our uh, continuing care retirement communities uh, in conjunction with our CEO, Todd Merch. And I'm Robert Brandy. I'm the vice president of uh, healthcare services for Eschaton. I've been here for about uh, three years and I oversee our skilled nursing operations as well as our home-based services of um, home health and, and home care. And I've been in skilled nursing in this world since, since graduating from college is really all I've, all I've known and all I've, uh, all I've ever done, but uh, it's great to be with you guys. Great. Well, uh, to, to kick things off, can you please tell us uh, sort of, you know, what, what drove you to start focusing on improving operational efficiencies? Well, I don't know that it, it was, it's always been a drive just because I, our staff are the most important commodity that we have within our buildings. And I, I, I want to make sure that I start off by saying, we aren't the experts. Our, our, our employees and our buildings and our communities are the experts. And we really have to utilize them in, in an effort to do that. But the, the drive in efficiency is, you know, I was listening to a podcast this morning, interestingly enough, that was talking about uh, the Netflix uh, CEO that he used to, uh, back when they, before they became really big, he had to lay off a bunch of people. And he talked about how they became more efficient. And one of the things that he talked about was that when he laid off a bunch of people, he realized those that he kept, he went through a bunch of different uh, criteria as to who he was keeping. And he ultimately kept the core strong group. And he found that they were just more efficient because they were the strong group that was kept. And we're, we're noticing that in our communities that those that are sticking with us through this really challenging time are the strong groups and they are creating their own efficiencies within the community. That doesn't come with, come without its own challenges. I mean, we're still having major staffing issues and having to utilize registry in order to fill open shifts. 
but in the end, it's really just being connected to them and listening to them. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, COVID kind of force fed this to us in that uh, we had no you know, organizations are continually looking for ways to be more efficient. And, and this was certainly true uh, pre-COVID and, and not that staffing wasn't a, a challenge before COVID. It's, it's something that our industry has just always had to deal with from that standpoint. But what came out of COVID is it was just forced us to, you know, shed any of the non-essentials that were not vitally important to, to patient care, especially at the early onset of the pandemic of uh, even just meetings, meetings that, that you mm-hmm. once thought as vital, critical, absolutely necessary in the light of the of, of COVID and the staffing crisis that we're living through suddenly became less critical and less essential. And, and you started to realize, we started to realize how we could function without some some of the, the more administrative tasks that we thought were, were, were absolutely necessary. Tig, you said, this is TJ, you said something really that just resonated with me, which was the, the, the characteristics about the staff that stayed with you and, and that they're more, that they showed characteristics of being more efficient. Well, you know, what should facilities look for in staff that, what kind of qualities in staff and when, they, when they're out looking to hire folks, are you looking for uh, to create those efficiencies and to help you run your facilities, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a quality and, and an efficient manner? You know, I think the, the, the term, the cream rises to the crop, uh, to the top, mm-hmm. is uh, really proven true during this really challenging time. I think the people that really stick with organizations in general and not just ours are those that truly love what they're doing. They love taking care of, uh, of other humans and being a part of those people's lives and, and just really helping them pull through dealing with normal challenges of aging, not even uh, you know during the pandemic. And those are the folks that really have stuck it out. And so I think when looking for people to hire, you really have to dive deep with them. You know, a lot of times, you know, hiring is done very reactively. Oh, we have an open position. Let's fill it. And then you're then when you do that, you're left just trying to find anybody that wants a job. But that that person's the type of person that's going to jump ship when the going gets tough because they want to go work for just in some other industry people that really want to care for people, people that really want to be a part of the lives of those that are aging is really what needs to be at the forefront when looking to hire people. It's, it's mm-hmm. difficult to say that because it's, it's not always as easy as it is said. And, and, I, and I recognize that. And just saying it, we're, we're struggling with it. And I don't want mm-hmm. to you know, make it feel like you know, we're the experts, but we definitely have recognized a lot of opportunity to make us better moving forward as we start to exit the pandemic. Sure. And as, as you're looking to hire people, I mean, do you have sort of a, uh, a, a checklist or is it more of a gut feeling that you have when, when you think somebody is going to be a good fit and is somebody who will probably uh, lend their talents to your organization and, and greater efficiencies going forward? I'd say it's a little of both. I think there's a checklist of things you look for. Um, one of the things that we like to do in our communities and um, when, when we're able to hire more proactively as opposed to reactively is take the person on a tour during the, during the interview, right after the interview, take them on a tour and just see how they react to the other staff, how they interact with the other residents. Are they ignoring them or are they actually you know, making eye contact and talking to them and seeing if they 
truly enjoy people. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, I think, super important. But there's also that gut feeling. I think I, I don't think you can go wrong by listening to your gut. And I've learned, learned it over and over again, unfortunately, by not listening to my gut that uh, just in life in general, listening to your gut, you know, some may say it's your it's your soul talking to you. But you know, we call it our gut instinct, you know, you just you just have to listen to what that's telling you, because there's a lot of truth in in what that reaction is. Very, very good. Very good. And if, if you don't mind kind of following up on that, as you had to focus more on efficiencies, what, what were some of the things that, that you tried? And what were some of the things that worked? And maybe what were some of the things that, that didn't work as well as you hoped they would? I would say, you know, it, it really, it really forces, it forced us to get down to, you know, look at the, looking at the scope of practice of our positions and you can get a CNA or, or, or a nurse that gets kind of pigeonholed into what we feel like their position is and what they, what they need to do. But when you get into these situations like this, where there is the shortage and there is uh, the need to really get by with what you have, you start to realize okay, is this task that is normally performed by uh, a licensed nurse or a CNA, does it require their licensure or their, their certificate in order to, to complete this, such as making a bed? You know, that mm-hmm. under, under normal instances, that's a task that you, you would say, okay, the CNA uh, gets the, the bed ready and makes it and gets it prepared for an admission and, and whatnot. So those are the types of things that you kind of look at and you say, okay, does it take a CNA to, to make a bed? No, there's lots of other positions and folks that can help with that. And so you kind of, you kind of boil it down to what are their, what are their essential tasks or things that have to, and can only be done by them according to their credentials. One of the things in our assisted living that we recognized that was something that we were forced into kind of like Robert was talking about earlier that with staff having to be quarantined or isolated because of an exposure or whatnot, a lot of times care staff would have to be, you know, at home and getting anybody to come in registry or whatever, you're just all hands on deck. So training, dining, dining service staff, you know, those folks that may not realize that, oh, that that they may enjoy care to become cross-trained to provide care. Um, So they may be handing out a meal, but they also can jump in and maybe help out with a, a transfer or help out with, um, you know, someone brushing their teeth. So tr- cross training them to, you know, provide that care as well beyond just serving a meal in the dining room or washing dishes. So having that cross trained person be able be able to work in more than just their own area was uh, something that was super helpful in, in a few of our communities too. You know, I think a lot of it was just listening to our staff, you know, sometimes when you get in these crisis situations, you think, oh boy, you know, I'm sitting up here in this ivory tower. I've got to have all the answers and, and let these solutions flow down from me down to the, the, the staff when really it's, it's quite the, the, the opposite. And that the staff generally know the most efficient way to, to gain some efficiencies out of whatever system they are, are, are working in. There's triggers for that. You'll, they'll say things such as, wouldn't it be easier if we did it this, mm-hmm. wh- why do we have to do it X, Y, Z? Those are, are typically triggers as to why, uh, that, they, that they have essentially found a more efficient way to accomplish that. Now, sometimes in the, in the regulatory environment that we live in there, that's sometimes the answer. Yes, I agree. That's probably a more efficient way to do it. However, we are bound by certain practices and regulations that we have to do it a certain way. But mm-hmm. 
generally speaking, in, a, in, in an effort to really engage your, your frontline staff. And really, if there's a way to make decisions as close to the bedside as possible, they generally have the best and the, and the right uh, solution to, to how to make things more efficient and, and, and run smoother. I would say uh, one one thing that I'm I'm curious about, you know, Escaton has always been considered kind of a technological innovator with your use of Alexa technology that's been around. You had that pre-pandemic. I'm curious whether you can imagine uh, life during the pandemic if you hadn't installed that. How does it help efficiency, and was it of good use uh, during these uh, tough times? Um, I wouldn't say that it helped efficiency. I would say that it helped in helping residents stay connected. I mean, they, uh, you know, many residents that we've talked to almost felt like Alexa was a person and you can talk to them and it gave them a little bit more comfort, not feeling so isolated when they're, you know, in their rooms because the whole building's on lockdown because of of an outbreak. It's not so much now, um, you know, as the virus is continued to be watered down through each variant. But early on, before we knew a lot about COVID, uh, when, when we had to lock every, lock it, the building down, essentially, and people had to stay in their rooms, you know, having that, per, that Alexa voice to be able to talk back to you, and it wasn't just, you know, a care staff behind a mask. It was, uh, it was I think, super helpful in that regard, uh, but not, not necessarily improving efficiency as it relates to just operational efficiencies. Certainly, the, the 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 mental health and well being though of the residents was was is really really important, and uh, it just shows how interesting technology can come to the rescue and in in different times. Do do you see technology as a way in the future that efficiencies could be obtained in the facilities? And you know what what comes to mind when you think about you know if there was one area of of operation that I would like to see a technological innovation, you know what what comes to mind. Well, as we talk about the, the challenge with getting staff and hiring staff in, in those core positions like care and dining servers, um, we're actually piloting a robot server in one of our CCRCs. It's an independent living to where it can go out and bus tables, essentially. You'd have, you know, they have to place the dishes inside the bucket and, sort, and, it, and it navigates back towards the kitchen. But, you know, that type of technology where the type of jobs that are real remedial that don't really re- require human interaction, I think are super valuable. Um, although when you do have a robot, it sometimes seems like it's human, you know, we can affectionately <laughs> name them all Johnny five, you know, if you remember that 1980s movie short circuit, because they seem like they're alive because they're moving on their own. It's just, you know, that AI technology is, is something that's, uh, that's very, very incredible. Um, we actually have safely you and all of our, uh, memory care communities, which that technology has helped to become more efficient, you know, because if a resident falls, we get notified via a phone call and are able to respond real quickly to a, a resident in their room that may be on the ground and, and, and handle those situations much quicker. So a uh, quick, quick follow-up question, if, if I might. Um, we've, we've sort of talked generally about some of the things you've, you've done. Could, could you give us some uh, specific ways that you actually found uh, new efficiencies? I think I spoke to it a little bit from, from my perspective in assisted living is utilizing less staff to do the same amount of work and, and, and doing that, um, that hybrid position where someone's able to work the kitchen as well as care, you're able to have that cross, uh, cross training doing. And, and we found that that to be very, very helpful in times when you have fewer bodies to do the same amount of work. 
were in, in assisted living, the RCFE world, were not totally pigeonholed to a specific uh, PPD like they are in skilled nursing, but we do still have to have the, the correct amount of staff in the building to provide the, the care that's needed for our residents. And, and, and utilizing folks in the dining room in order to do that, uh, we found to be very efficient. Terrific. Yeah, I think I think similarly is kind of what we touched on er, on on earlier is is just kind of an all hands approach where um, and 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 because of where we are in the in the pandemic and and the effects that it's had on admissions and occupancy, you know, there are there are certain departments within the uh, a specific community that may be less busy than they previously were, and so someone that an admissions coordinator in a in a community with admissions potentially slower during pandemic has been repurposed and re retooled and, and retrained towards, uh, instead of focusing on admissions, helping to focus on recruitment and hiring and, and those types of activities. So just everyone kind of going outside of what they would, would typically do in a normal situation. We have directors of nursing where the, the daily staffing is a huge priority of their day, which uh, previously was portion of their day, but wasn't their, one of their main focuses. Now it's one of the most important things that they are dealing with mm. in their, their day-to-day operations. What's one area in the skilled nursing setting that's still a challenge that you would like some help with creating more efficiencies? Is it, uh, you know, MedPass? Is it telehealth? You know, it, what, what areas do you still find a challenge that folks probably are experiencing the same thing and, and are looking for solutions? I would say, similar to what Tig mentioned earlier, uh, I see if there's a solution that that helps solve for a lot of the more routine bed making, you know, that type of thing, vitals, med pass, some of the more routine things that are that are done, documentation and, and what nurses and, and staff spend so much time on, um, if there were a way to utilize technology to automate those things and, and less eyes on type of thing that allows for staff to do more of what I think they're intended to do and to generally just care for the overall well-being of a patient and to be able to go into a room outside the purpose of, of, of checking vitals, but to check on the patient's overall well-being and, and noticing any kind of change of condition or, or, or things that, uh, that they can observe so I, I would think one of the challenges of what you try to do is is building a sense of esprit de corps where people feel like they're helping in new and better ways as opposed to you know that resistance of you know hey that's not my job I shouldn't be doing that. How, how did you folks sort of deal deal with that whole issue of getting buy-in from from the staff? I think um, the biggest key is empowerment. I mean, making them feel like they're they're valued and that they like Robert was talking about earlier, that they um, they truly are the ones that know best what's going on in the communities. And if you give them the, the, the power to work autonomously, Robert used this analogy when we were talking prior to the podcast that, you know, water always finds a way. And, you know, it's, it's the same thing with these staff. They're going to find the most efficient way to do things. Just, you know, you kind of have to guide them and keep them making sure it's, it's staying within what's in the best interest of the resident. Um, but they're going to find the most efficient way to do stuff. You just got to provide them the tools and what they need in order to do it. And they're going to find that. And so making sure that they feel empowered to do that and not like they're, 
they're being sneaky and going to do, you know, get in trouble for it. And then just being there to root them on as, as they continue to uh, fight the battle every day, uh, dealing with the, you know, the COVID protocols and all that's mm-hmm. going on. Gotcha. Yeah. To, to add to that, I think just by nature, the type of wonderful people that work in communities like ours, I think just naturally tend to lend themselves more towards having a, you know, a, a giving heart and a little bit less. That's not me. That's not what I do. Mm-hmm. They're, they're in this profession because of who they are as a, as a person. And I think it generally lends themselves to, towards a more helpful disposition in general and uh, wanting to pitch in and seeing a need or, or seeing discomfort or, and, and wanting mm-hmm. to fill, uh, fill that need just out of the, the goodness of, of the heart that they have in them. Very good. Um, so if, if we could talk just for a second uh, about costs, I mean, it, it, it seems like, uh, you know, the, the robot maybe, you know, was a bit of an investment. Um, how, how do you balance the, the investment of, of that versus the, the payoff of, of getting people to more, work more efficiently? Is, is that something that you think about consciously or it just sort of happens? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the number of bodies that are going to be replaced by a, a robot um, working, you can quickly find that those types of technologies are going to pay for themselves by not having to pay for an hourly rate for somebody. You pay a, a flat rate for the cost of a robot and it, it, it'll give you a return on your investment. Um, but, you know, you, you have to be really careful in our industry to not replace those human interactions with, with things that aren't going to give that to the resident because there is so much importance in that human interaction and that, you know, that human touch where you just maybe touch a resident's arm or touch them on the shoulder that you can't, you can't replicate with a, um, with a robot. And I just think that that's super important as well, but you know, in the, in the end, you have to do what's best for the resident. And during this time, you know, cost was something that was, was a challenge. I mean, we, we faced it here and, and, you know, but we, we have to do what we have to do in order to make sure our residents are cared for and, paying for registry to do that. And, you know, all the testing that went in with it and all the stuff that was thrown at them, it was just, I was really in awe at how our buildings or how our communities really handled all that was being thrown at them during this time. And, you know, and, and still do with, yeah. the, you know, mm-hmm. the common yeah. factor is the fatigue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always felt that the best way to build a bond amongst a team is to toil together through something mm-hmm. challenging and, and difficult. And, and that can be in the past, that was maybe a, a, a bad survey or it was a, a, you know, something more uh, acute. What we're seeing here is the struggle and, and the resiliency of our staff to fight through uh, just the, the duration that, uh, that we've been, that they've been under some of this fatigue and sure. uh, they're still, they're still there. They're still, they're still fighting alongside of us. And we just, we always make sure to, to recognize that and, 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 and do our best to really lock arms with them on the front line and, and, and be there with them. I think fatigue is certainly an issue that most of our, our listeners can relate to, uh, especially since COVID arrived. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of exhausted caregivers out there. Uh, is, is there anything specific you're doing for your team to help them deal with the fatigue factor? You know, it's, it's, it's tough, you know, with the, the staffing crisis that we have. Um, there's times where we just have to kind of bite the bullet and, and allow them, you know, to take the time off and, and, and things that they, 
they do. There's morale things that we do to, to just try to uh, let them know of our, our, our appreciation and food and truck, you know, food trucks and um, just really kind of trying to amp up some of those things that to just try to really show the, the appreciation. And just a lot of times those things are helpful, but a, a leader passing by a, an employee in the, in the building and just stopping for a minute and giving them a heartfelt thank you and recognition of, I know this is not easy. I know you're tired. I am too, but let's, let's lock arms and keep, keep pushing forward. And, and I'll be here. I'll be here right with you and, and we'll take these steps together. So I think that really goes much farther than any kind of gift card or food truck or anything like that. It's just seeing the, the, their leadership in their community and in their organization, truly recognizing them and the efforts that, uh, that they do. I always, I always like to thank people for the things that are unseen, realizing that there are things that no one will ever see those moments that they spend in a room with a, a resident and there's a heartfelt moment between them. There's a handhold that goes on between them that no one will ever see or know, or rec- and they'll never get the recognition for it. But just knowing that those things do exist and, and making sure that they feel appreciated and, and recognized for, for all the things that they do that go unseen. Yeah. You know, Winston, Winston Churchill once said, doing your best isn't enough. Sometimes you have to do what's required. And I think this pandemic has shown us how all our teams work together to do what is required for those who can't do for themselves. And, um, you know, I'm, I, you know, one of my takeaways from this is toil together. I, that is, I am going to remember that. And I like that. I like that because we've all been through that together. And uh, I, I, I can, I can really appreciate that. Um, it, I think it's also brought together vendor teams as well. I think, I think physicians now are listening to consultant pharmacists more than they ever have before, because we all have to be part of this, this triangle together with directors of nursing, uh, the medical directors, the consultant pharmacists working together to help reduce those medications and reduce the med pass and make it more efficient so we can get through it. It's just really, everyone's toiling together as inter- interdisciplinary teams. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been, Horrible, but also great to see how we can all come together as well. Yeah, agreed. We hundred percent. And and the flexibility that our our partners out in the community have had with, you know, them having to adapt to the the changing uh, recommendations and mitigation strategies that that we've implemented. It's it's you know they've been very flexible and 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 adaptable as we have had to be in those same same areas. Absolutely. I think think that um, one of the things that Robert touched on already that we have a real benefit here at Escaton because all of our communities are all in Northern California is there's something really powerful about, you know, me and my position walking through a building and really connecting with the staff or even our CFO who's done it or our our chief um, strategy officer or even our CEO. When When the staff see that leadership of the organization walk through the building and really thank them and make eye contact and make, make them feel valued. It's just so powerful. And I don't think there's any substitute for that. That's a, that's a great point. Well, guys, we're just about out of time. Uh, any, any parting advice for our audience out there? I think if I was to say one thing and use one word to just keep in mind, it's connection. 
you just got to stay connected to your, uh, to your communities. And by that, I mean, being in the community and, and just thanking, thanking the teams there. There's just, there's, uh, I don't think there's anything that you can do to substitute for that. Yeah, I, I, that's a great word. I, you know, my, my thought was just to, to really lock arms with your, your leaders and the staff members in, in, in the communities and uh, just be there with them and for them. Well, that's going to have to be the final word. Great, great points, guys. So um, I, I think if there are, are three takeaways from today's discussion, I, the, the first one I would say is connections, which you just mentioned. The second one, which was mentioned earlier, is toil together. And then finally, empowerment. I think uh, empowerment is, is, is a key in so many ways, and especially as, as you're looking for more efficiencies in your staff. Well, folks, uh, this concludes our second episode of Spoonful of Sugar. We certainly hope you've enjoyed this podcast and we'll, we'll pass the word. Uh, we also hope you can join us next time for episode three, Bringing Health Home, the Transitional Care Management Model. Uh, in this next episode, we'll be exploring the influencers that support this transitional care model and how facilities can take steps to capitalize on the growth of care at home to impact their census, financial penalties, and outcomes. Uh, we want to take, thank today's guests, uh, Robert and Tig, uh, for providing a lively and informative discussion. Uh, also, special thanks to For America, whose generous support made this presentation possible. To learn more about ways for America can deliver world-class pharmacy services to your organization, please visit them online at www.farmerica.com. Along with TJ Griffin, this is John O'Connor wishing you health and happiness. See you next time.